Hi, my name is Nate Gant. Welcome to this morning's Sunday gathering. I've been going to Newcom for about two and a half years, and I'm in Bobby and Sheena's small group. I have two incredible little boys named Declan and Finnegan, ages nine and four. I enjoy the outdoors, hiking, fishing, and working out in my spare time. And I'm also a commercial real estate broker here in Spokane. I hope you enjoy this morning's discussion. Grateful to be worshiping with you. Please join us for our call to worship. Father, we love you, but you confuse us. You are the unchanging God, yet also the God of incremental changes and seismic shifts. And we exist in a time, in a year, in a world that feels completely transformed and yet seems to have barely moved. Where we feel like a stranger and yet in a familiar place. Where we feel fractured and yet long to be made whole. God, fill the gap in the space between us and give us empathy. Be the glue for our cracks and give us truth. Be the wisdom for our wonderings and provide understanding, learning, and imagination. Eyes to see, ears to hear, and courage to change. May we enter this corporate space today knowing you were here waiting for us to join you. We pray this in the name of the unchanging and ever-changing God. Amen. Malachi 3, 6 through 10 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers who have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation, of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Lord, we confess. We spew words of judgment, exclusion, and prejudice. Keep us silent, O God of justice. We are egotistical, manipulative, and proud. Keep us humble, O God of power. We abuse, disempower, and wound. Keep us open, O God of love. Make us peacemakers, restorers, advocates. People of your way who listen respectfully, welcome all, comfort any, uphold truth, and strengthen the weak. We pray this in the name of God who is for us. Amen.
Hey, Newcom. As you know, Advent is right around the corner, and I am excited to share about a special way that we're hoping to engage in the Advent season with you. So we will be providing Advent calendars and Advent nativity kits for kids this holiday season, and the calendars and kits will be delivered to small group leaders later next week. So be sure to ask your group leader for yours. There's one per household available. If you're not in a small group, you can pick up your calendar or kit at the church building. We will have pickup times on Sunday, November 29th, that's next Sunday, or Monday, November 30th from 9 a.m. to noon. If you need to pick up your calendar at a different time or if you have any questions, feel free to email me, brooke at new-community.com. We have one more announcement for you this morning about an exciting opportunity that Sarah will tell you more about. Hey, Newcom, Sarah Pell here. Here at Newcom, we're always looking for ways to get involved and engage our city. During the pandemic, I personally have really struggled to figure out what this might look like and how to be the hands and feet of God to those in need outside of my family. I wanted to share with you an exciting opportunity we have as a community to get involved even during the pandemic. Safe Families is a local organization that provides support to parents in need that might otherwise have to turn to foster care or less safe means to take care of their children while they're in short-term crisis. While most of us at Newcom have a large network of support we can turn to when life gets difficult, there are many in our community that have no one to lean on. Safe Families partners with local agencies and churches to connect parents in need with host families that can take children in temporarily while their parent is finding housing, receiving medical care, or taking care of a wide variety of problems that they're faced with. As the church, we have the opportunity to reflect God's love to others by caring for these children. You might be thinking, yes, I can do this. Tell me more. Or you might be thinking, this sounds great, but hosting kids at this time is not doable for me or my family. Either way, if this ministry sounds like something you would like to get involved in, there's a role for you. We need host families, but we also need support by volunteering your time to bring diapers, meals, formula to those in our community who decide to host kids. If this is something that intrigues you and you'd like to know more, we're going to have an informational meeting via Zoom coming up on Sunday, December 6th from 1 to 2 p.m. We will have a representative from Safe Families that will be on the call to answer all of our questions. If you'd like to get an invite sent to you, please email Britt at new-community.com and she'll get you on the list. I hope to see a lot of you there as we walk forward in this ministry. Thanks a lot. Good morning, new community. Hope your day is off to a great start or your week, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. I wanted to remind us before we started on our particular profit for this week uh, that just to remind us that this is a great season for gratitude. There is much to be thankful for in each of our lives. I'm recording this podcast on a Thursday, exactly a week before Thanksgiving. And uh, if I'm honest, it feels like Thanksgiving has snuck up on us a bit this year. Uh, 2020 has hit many of us like a ton of bricks, but in spite of that reality, I believe there is much much to be thankful for. And I would encourage you, uh, take time this week to remind yourself of the good in the world. Think about the aspects of life that fill you with joy or simply make your soul 
full and lean into a season of gratitude. I think the best place that we can be during these unique times is in a posture of gratitude. A second quick thought with you before we start. Uh, It has been, as you know, a while since we have met together. And if we're being honest, it will likely be a while longer. Uh, We've entered into tighter restrictions on our movement and proximity to others. And I know for some of us, this is getting difficult. Uh, It seems to be more challenging this time around as the restrictions were relaxed for a while and now have begun to get tighter. Others of us are concerned for our business or our friends' business. Uh, Still others, the greatest challenge is the isolation or loneliness that you are experiencing. And in addition to all of that and more is the issue of not meeting together as a collective community. I know this has been challenging for many of us. To not be in a larger community, worshiping together, uh, has had an impact on many people's faith. It has perhaps surfaced doubt and fear or caused you to question your faith in totality. And for many of us, we just miss being together. There's something unique about the family of faith and the ability to gather together. And I know this is hard. But I wanted to encourage us um, by just reminding us that by not meeting together for a season, we are actually choosing the way of love. We are showing in a very real way that the health and well-being of other people matters. Wearing a mask, practicing physical distancing, and choosing to limit meeting in gathered spaces together is truly a way of loving our neighbor as ourself. And this is not an exaggeration. This is a way to serve one another or to love one another. There is a tangible connection between the daily choices we make and the actions we take. This is honestly a part of connecting our action and our intention together and then centering them on the idea of love. Now, this reality does not mean that it's not challenging. And so I wanted to say this again. Do not hesitate to reach out. Contact us on staff. Reach out to a group member, a group leader. Uh, Find tangible ways to continue to move forward in the faith. And however we can best support you during this time, do not hesitate to let us know. And know that your small and simple acts of kindness and consideration of others are actually saving lives, helping our healthcare workers, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. We now jump in to distant cousins and weird uncles. This is our final week. We are in the book of Malachi. And the series, for me at least, has been motivating and challenging during this season. And I just want to say kudos to all of you for sticking with us during this series. Uh, People tend to avoid the prophets in general, uh, but much more so during a challenging time. Uh, But instead, our community has embraced how the prophets have been relevant for us today. 
and are speaking words that we need to hear at this very moment. And so I'm excited to talk about how the book of Malachi kind of wraps up what we have been learning together collectively as a community. Now, uh, the other day I was um, kind of involving myself in one of my guilty pleasures. I think many of you know that uh, listening to rap music, uh, especially 90s music, um, is a pleasure of mine. Uh, And as you know, part of that is because I love words. I'm amazed at the artistry and the creativity employed to create uh, rhythms and rhymes and to put that together in it is captivating for me. And I find that uh, preparing talks like this, getting ready for this morning, uh, for me, are it's a bit like trying to form a song or a bit like crafting liturgy or writing a thoughtful article. It takes time. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it feels like it lands flat. Other times it feels like the verse competes with the hook. And uh, Malachi, to be honest with you, has been a bit like that for me. I've struggled with kind of putting all these parts together in a coherent way. And at first I felt like um, Malachi was presenting itself as kind of factual, meaning that there are so many interesting tidbits about the book or the culture or the writer that would help us unlock meaning. Uh, For example, Information like this, that Malachi is really the title of the book and might not be a proper name. Many people think the prophet was Malachi, but others believe that Malachi, which means my messenger or the Lord's messenger, was not necessarily the name of a prophet. Now, the Septuagint supports that idea as Malachi is not a proper name in that particular rendering of the Old Testament. Um, Nowhere is Malachi mentioned at all in the New Testament or elsewhere in the Old Testament. And even no historians um, recorded Malachi as a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. So there's really no mention of this prophet at any other point. Uh, Some scholars even believe that part of the book of Malachi is really the third section of Zechariah. And part of why they hold that idea is in order for the minor prophets to be 12 prophets, some suggest that the third section of Zechariah was shifted over to be a 12th minor prophet, therefore fitting the biblical number. And um, Malachi then really was just a um, either a pseudonym that was used or a title holder, meaning my messenger or the Lord's messenger. So there's a ton of fun facts about the book and many more that we could choose, but it felt like that information was not necessarily um, motivating. Uh, It wasn't motivating my heart to say, okay, well, what does this book mean for us as a community? I also felt that the book might present itself a little bit more through history, that we would derive meaning from the context uh, or the bigger picture that the book sits in. Uh, So I thought for a bit about talking about the history surrounding Malachi, that Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries and it was written around that exact same time, Uh, or that the 
idea that the last book of the Old Testament is this unique uh, book. And then we have 400 years of what is known as the intertestamental period or 400 years of silence before the beginning of the New Testament. Um, Also uniquely, um, Malachi would be the final prophet or the final uh, prophetic writing before the next prophet being John the Baptist. And so you have this unique season of time that in many ways has been described as the 400 years of silence because it goes from one book that was included in the canon, Malachi, until we get to the New Testament where more books are included. And there really were not books um, included in the canon between those two times. And so when people speak about the intertestamental period, there's a ton of stuff going on, but I think it often gets overlooked because there was this quote unquote period of silence. So to give you just a little context of the history, all of the books of the Apocrypha were written during this time. Alexander the Great at part of this time was busy ruling the world. You know, the Septuagint was written or the Greek translation of the Old Testament was written during this period of time. Um, The Great Wall of China was built and Julius Caesar was assassinated. There was a lot going on in the world during these 400 years. But um, again, I didn't feel as if the order of the prophets or the history of the intertestamental period would take us where we necessarily needed to go. And so this morning, it's it's a really it's a simple message. Uh, it's very basic, but I think the illustration that captures Malachi maybe more than any other illustration for me is that Malachi is about marriage. It's about a covenant. It's an evaluation, so to speak, of the agreed upon terms or conditions of a relationship. It's this um, almost like a marriage retreat, if you will, where you might set aside time to examine a relationship to see how the covenant is going And so throughout the book, God talks about his end of the bargain and also their end of the agreement. And so God's contract with Israel, where what God was agreeing to was to love the people of Israel with an everlasting love. The term would be hesed, this everlasting love. He also agrees as part of his covenant with them to bless them. And in his blessing them, then they would in turn be a blessing to the world. So he would not only bless them as a nation, but in doing so, bless the entirety of the world. And that they would receive numerous offspring, too many to count, like the sand of the sea, as it's described. And so similar to a marriage, what God is saying here is, I will love and protect and provide for you. I'm committed to you, and I promise to do this for you as long as we both shall live. It is this beautiful commitment or covenant that's been made throughout the Old Testament, and God is reminding them and reminding us that this is what I've agreed to, and this is what I will fulfill. And at the same time, Israel sits on the other side of this marriage covenant and has a quote-unquote contract with God. 
And what did Israel agree to? You might ask, they agreed to love God, love the Lord your heart with all your soul, mind, and strength. They agreed to obey God, to follow his statutes and his laws, to commit to follow him. And then the third thing they agreed to was to not chase after other gods, to remain faithful to their one spouse. No idolatry, no adultery, so to speak. Um, That was the commitment. And so like a marriage, again, I love you, I will be committed to you, and I will be true only to you. And so this is part of what is being described in this book. Malachi is looking into the relationship and calling for Israel to forsake the spiritual doldrums they find themselves in, to renounce their half-hearted commitment to the Lord, and to return to an active faith and the practice of devotion to God. It's return to this relationship, return to our marriage. No more um, lack of faithfulness, no more adultery, no more um, relationships with other gods and other nations. Commit to me, return to me. And God uses this language throughout the book. You'll... You can kind of imagine it as if he's a discouraged lover or a disappointed friend. He has all of these comments like this, I love you. You despise my name, though. You give me your leftovers. You only give me your second best. You question my loyalty to you. You tire me out with your talking. And you have hurt me with your words. What he is describing are symptoms of eroding faith. He's highlighting the ways that the people of Israel have strayed from relationship with him. In fact, you could almost go through the six disputes and highlight words or ideas that, that conjure up uh, this broken marital relationship. There is cynicism. There is complacency. There is a half-hearted commitment. There is idolatry or adultery in the sense of marriage. There's a disregard of marriage and the commitment of it. There's a doubting of the spouse or the partner, so they're doubting God's justice. There's a failure to believe that their spouse, God, will provide for them, and so they withhold tithes and offerings, they withhold from God what is due him because they, they fail to trust the dynamic provision of God. So there's this, um, the, the sense that like, as I give myself to you, you in reciprocal give yourself to me. And yet that was broken. They even remarked that they considered it pointless to follow God. And so you have all of these expressions of a discouraged lover and a disappointed friend. And the response of Israel to all of this command, all of this teaching is really quite telling. Uh, They exhibit confusion and indifference. Confusion is really summed up by the use of the word how. Over and over and over, they use the word how. Uh, We're 
they say to God says, I love you. And they say, well, how have you loved us? And then God says, well, you despise my name. And they say, well, how have we despised you? Well, you give me only your second best, your leftovers. How have we shortchanged you? How have we wearied you? How have we hurt you with our words? They continue to um, proclaim this like confusion followed by an indifference. They reveal that they're really willing to accept compromise. They're no longer bothered by what would have bothered them in the past. It's almost as if they've slowly lowered their standards. Uh, They feign at times confusion. And what seems normal to them was really offensive to God. And the marriage is not functioning as well as it should be. All of those descriptions that I used a moment ago, the, the cynicism, the complacency, the lack of commitment, the broken marriage vows, um, the lack of trust and provision, all of those things seem to no longer bother them. It's as if they were in a long-term relationship, and you see this happen where people get to the point where they become so complacent with the other, so indifferent to the other, that they simply become roommates. They're no longer in love. They no longer practice that love with each other with diligence. They no longer sacrifice of themselves for the sake of another. And it's into this story, into this reminder of love, that really I think the book of Malachi offers two suggestions, and maybe even I should say more than suggestions, two commands, two ideas that should cause us to reevaluate our own relationship with God. And the first one is return. This is what you see through the prophets. In the entirety of the prophets, you see this phrase echoed. Return to me. Return to me and keep my commandments. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Return to me with your whole heart. Return to me with all that you are. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. This is echoed throughout the scriptures, this idea, and especially in the prophets, this idea that, that we just have to admit we've strayed, that we've become indifferent, that maybe we're not as committed to the marriage as we were at the beginning. And the reminder is to return. Return. It's a simple is choosing to go in the opposite direction, to acknowledge where we've been and then to lean into moving toward. Return to me and I will return to you. Which then takes us to this second idea. Not only is there this call to return, I think there is this clarity, this significance of the radical, faithful, hesed love of God. Now, in Malachi, the last word 
is curse or destruction. So the Old Testament really, if we um, look at it, kind of ends on a down note. Now, if you were to read the last few verses of Malachi, it reads like this, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I have commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Not the way you want to end the book. Not the way you want to set it up for 400 years before John the Baptist shows up on the scene. But there's this interesting Hebrew tradition. And what happens is the in the Hebrew tradition is that because the book of Malachi ends with the pronouncement of a curse, the Jewish practice then is to reread Malachi 4.5 after reading 4.6. So it would read like this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And they end it that way, obviously, to end on a more positive note. The same custom is followed in the closings of Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, and Lamentations. And I think what this reveals is an innate desire in all of us for redemption. This desire to gain something that was previously lost. So for some of us, the message that we need to hear today from the word is this. In Malachi 4.2, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. See, the gospel story is that the God who calls us to return because we're in need of repentance is also the God who honors and is faithful to the covenant of love. It is this God that tells the people of Israel that the Son is coming. The Messiah is on his way. I will send Elijah, and soon you will see the coming of the King. I mean, that is the gospel, that the love of God is demonstrated to us in the person of Jesus that we may have broken the marriage covenant, we may have strayed from our faithful spouse, and all we're called to do is to return because the Hesed love, the never-ending, faithful, committed, loyal love of God never ends. Catherine Doherty makes this statement. The gospel can be summed up by saying it is the tremendous, tender, compassionate, gentle, extraordinary, explosive, 
revolutionary revolution of God's love. It is this that is being revealed. And maybe what we all need as we look at this final prophet is a reminder that we should be amazed at the gospel all over again. Maybe what the book of Malachi is really calling us to is to reconsider once again. And we talk about this a lot, but to reconsider once again God's love. Brennan Manning makes this statement that I'll close with. He's writing in a book and talking about the amazing love of God. And I think sometimes it it becomes, we hear it so often that it just becomes um, something that maybe bounces off but doesn't quite sink in. And so he says this, imagine that Jesus is calling you today. He extends a second invitation to accept his Father's love. And maybe you answer, oh, I know that. It's old hat. And God answers, no. That's what you don't know. You don't know how much I love you. The moment you think you understand is the moment you do not understand. I am God, not man. You tell others about me, your words are glib. My words are written in the blood of my only son. The next time you preach about my love with such obnoxious familiarity, I may come and blow your whole prayer meeting apart. Did you know that every time you tell me you love me, I say thank you? I think Brennan captures a couple ideas that resonated with me. First, that the Father's love should never become old hat. That the moment you think you understand it is the moment you do not understand. I think a second idea that captured me is that we sometimes speak of God's love, even preach God's love, with, as he says, such obnoxious familiarity, that we become so familiar with it, we've heard it so many times, that it somehow doesn't sink in. I heard a preacher one time say that um, if there's anything he could say to anybody at any time, it would simply be this idea that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The song many of us sang as we were growing up that, that seems so simple because you sing it as a two-year-old or a three-year-old. And yet that familiarity leads to a place where we often find ourselves, like Malachi is describing, content in being in a marriage that is no longer loving, content in being in a space where we're no longer committed to one another. And then the last phrase that he uses is, did you know that every time you tell me you love me, I say thank you? Have you ever paused to think about that? Because I know when I say to my kids, I love you, 
obviously one of the things I love to hear echoed back is I love you too. But to be honest, when you start with, I love you, and the person responds with an, I love you too, there's sometimes you think to yourself, but do you really? Do you really? Or are you just saying that phrase back because it's the natural, normal response? But it's an entirely different thing when your kid walks up to you or when a friend walks up to you or someone you haven't seen in a while does, and they just simply say, I love you. And you receive it. And it does something differently to you when you receive it. Every time you tell me you love me, God says, I say thank you. As we enter into this week of Thanksgiving, may we reflect on our marriage to God. May we consider our ways, our complacency, and may we return. And may we focus on the everlasting and faithful love of God and celebrate this reality this week. We pray this as a scattered community together in Christ. Amen. Let us close with this benediction. May we go out from here and live lives worthy of the calling we have received. Use what you have graciously been given and in humility satisfy the needs of the afflicted. In gentleness be hospitable to the hungry and in patience loose the bonds of injustice. And may the God of lasting love open the way before you. And may Jesus weave our hearts together to that we may experience the unity that is ours in Christ. We go in peace to love in the name of the Father, of the risen Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.